we'll get the work in the book, right? So let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to come to fellowship with one another. We pray that this would be a day that we would exalt your son Jesus, that we would exalt you, that we would learn from your word, that your spirit would be working in our hearts to cause us to uh, believe in your son Jesus Christ and to continue to walk by uh, faith uh, and continue to be obedient. We are just so very thankful for this opportunity. We're so very thankful for this time and we just ask your blessings on it. We say this in your son's name. Amen. So, uh, I have something that I have to admit. I'm a little ashamed of it. I feel like I should be better at this, but I'm not. I am not very good at hide and seek. I know this might be a shock to some of you. And I know that what I'm about ready to say might be controversial, but I I do feel this. that, uh, And you're more welcome to contradict me openly, but I feel like hide and seek requires two basic components. Hiding... And seeking. Now, I know that this might be controversial. Uh, I'm a terrible hider. Uh, I'm always looking for, like, the perfect spot. And then I get nervous when you get to, like, three. And then I I go, oh, no, I got to go here. And then I see me. I'm a terrible seeker because I get too anxious and too giddy. And I run through the room and I don't really observe. To help myself, I have decided to play a game of hide-and-seek to hone my skills, and I play this game with myself with my keys. I am very good at hiding my keys in plain sight. I am still working on the seeking of the keys, so if you happen to find a giant thing of keys, uh, that, might be, <laughs> that might be mine. I, I would like that back. No, this morning we're going to be talking about hiding and seek. Not, not the kids' game, although that, that, would, that is kind of a fun game, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a different kind of hiding, and we're going to kind of talk about a different kind of seeking. We're going to talk about God and him hiding things and how this glorifies him. We're going to talk about government and how, according to this text, it's an honor for them to seek out things and how we are to honor God and respect our governors. So turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 25. This morning, we're only going to be in verse, the first three verses of chapter 25. But in verses 1 and the first half of verse 2, we're going to be looking at God's hiding, how God hides things, and how this glorifies God when he conceals a matter. Then from 2b to the end of verse 3, we're going to talk about respecting government, but specifically how it's an honor to them to seek out things. So hide in the first part, seek in the second part. So notice with me in verse 1 what is said here. It says, these also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So we're in a new section, okay? So we've already dealt with the first section. The first section was roughly from chapter 1 to chapter 10. Right? Remember in that section, we were like children, and our father was walking us through the world, showing us different places that we should go, taking us through the marketplace of ideas, and saying, these are the things that you need to learn. 
And, and, and he points out certain vendors, and he points out certain houses, and he says, don't go there. Don't go here. Trust these people. Don't trust these people. Buy from these people. Don't buy from these people, right? So we get this, we get this approach to wisdom that we're like children. We don't know. We're, we are hopelessly lost in this world. We, we have no idea what's going on. We desperately, desperately need God, our Father, to teach us wisdom. He needs to give us discernment. The second section was like father's instructions, but it was more like a picture. And the picture was basically this. Wise people do this. Foolish people do this. We spent a lot of time on this. This, but this. This, but this. Okay? So roughly from chapters 11 to 22. We saw that, and that helps us paint a picture of what a wise person looks like. What a wise person does and what a foolish person does. Obviously, we spend a lot of time in that, and there's a lot of things in between. But essentially, in Solomon's mind, you're either exhibiting wisdom, and this is what it looks like, or you're exhibiting foolishness, and this is what it looks like. Then, we just finished a section where Solomon collected sayings from other teachers. So we came like students, and there was 30-some-odd sayings that we come as students So we come to God's wisdom going, I'm not the teacher. I need to sit down and listen and learn. We now are in this other part of, we could call it the lost sayings of Solomon, right? That's a kind of a fun little way of putting it. But it's it's kind of an interesting little uh, preface we have to this new section. And we see that here are some other proverbs of Solomon that either Solomon didn't put in himself or they just thought this was a helpful way for us to learn Solomon's Proverbs by breaking them up. But we learn something about this. We learn that it was by the men, the, the scribes, most likely, of Hezekiah. Now, remember, if you can think back to when we went through the book of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, remember how after Solomon was king, the kingdom of Israel split into two parts. You have the northern part, which is made up of ten tribes, all the kings of the northern tribes were bad. They were steeped in idolatry. In fact, one king, he he was brilliant. He said, you know, remember that time in the wilderness when God uh, killed a whole bunch of our forefathers for having uh, a cow, golden calf, and saying this is our God who delivered us from Israel? I got a brilliant idea. What if we do two of them? Does that work? Obviously it didn't work, right? And the whole point was so that they wouldn't go down to Jerusalem and go to the temple and worship God. So not great people up in the north, okay? They were conquered by the Assyrians. You have the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah, made up of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. You had bad kings, but you also had good kings. One of the good kings was Hezekiah. Okay, And with Hezekiah's reign comes this spiritual reformation. In, in the middle of this, you have scribes and, and priests who are looking through the temple because the temple is in disarray, and it says that they find the scriptures. And you go, that's your job is to write the scriptures, and you found them? What have you been doing for hundreds of years if your job is to write them down, and, and you then find them, towards the end of your career. So with this spiritual revival, 
with this following of the Lord, clearly part of this was recovering of some of Solomon's Proverbs. And these scribes put these Proverbs together. And this is going to be an interesting section of these these snapshot sayings. And it's very clear that these guys curated Solomon's Proverbs so that they're in nice, neat, packed uh, themes. Okay, So we're going to be looking at a lot of themes. The first two chapters of this section are going to be different from things that we've seen in the book of Proverbs up to this point. There's going to be a lot of metaphors, and there's going to be admonitions. We really haven't seen a lot of that in the book of Proverbs, right? A lot of it's been principles. We're going to see admonitions. The second half are going to be more typical of what we think of Proverbs. So that's, that's the setting of what we're learning, right? We're seeing these sayings and how these were brought to light in the midst of a spiritual revival. These are a product of spiritual revival. This is a product of God moving in the hearts of Israel to recapture true authentic worship and orthodoxy and living by God's word. And this is a product. This is a product of publishing godly sayings so that people can have a godly outlook on life. That's a product, okay? So that's what we're going to be reading uh, and studying for the next couple months is this product of this spiritual revival. So let's go to verse 2 and notice what is said in verse 2 here of the, the very first thing that these guys put. The very, the, the, the very important thing. These guys think this is really important. This is the first one. Imagine you are writing a book. The very first sentence is an important sentence, right? Notice what they say. Verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal things. Little, little different, isn't it? Now, when we talk about the glory of God and when we glorify God, what we're really talking about is we're talking about a human who contemplates the attributes of God, who thinks through the attributes of God, who then acknowledges those and exalts those attributes basically starts telling the truth about God and sharing the truth. That's what we were doing in the songs, right? When we were glorifying God, we're talking about God's attributes. We're talking about his love, his mercy, his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his holiness. So to glorify him is to know his attributes and to almost recite these attributes out loud to exalt God. There's another aspect of glorifying him. It also looks at his ways, what he does, how he does things. And, and we see how he works in the life of, our, of us and of, of other people who follow the Lord. We see how he worked in the past, in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And, and, and we recount those. And we say, look at how great God is by what he's done and who he is. That's what glorifying him is. And then I would say then the next part of glorifying him is then this sense of obedience and faith. Okay, So when we think about this then, that glorification is then this reciting of God's attributes. So here we could say it's we glorify God when, and ready for this great attribute when he conceals things. When he hides them. Now, let me be honest. God is also glorified when he reveals things. This is not saying that when God reveals something, we don't glorify God, only when he hides something. But I think it is important for us to remember this important truth. 
to glorify God when God doesn't let us know. When he doesn't share. When he hides it. When he hides a thing and you go, what is the thing here? What's the things? All kinds of things. Right? There's lots of time in scripture where it talks about God hiding things. But I want to just focus on two. The first thing is, there are plenty of times that God conceals things about himself. He doesn't, he doesn't exhaustively show himself to us. A couple examples. First, remember Moses in Exodus 33? Remember what he asked God? He said, can you show me your glory? And what, what, was, what was the response? You can't see my face and live. So what, what did he do? He put Moses in a cleft of a rock, and then he covered Moses' face, and then he walked by. And Moses, what, saw the afterglow. There is a picture of Moses wanting to know the fullness of God's glory. God saying, one, you can't handle my glory, right? Number two, you can't see it. And I'm going to shield my glory from you, and all you're going to see is the afterburn of my glory. There's another thing that I think is really important. Go with me to the book of John, chapter 1. Important truth here found in John. John chapter 1, go with me to verse 18. And as I say on Saturday mornings with the guys, in order to get the context of this, we have to start in the book of Genesis. We're not going to go there. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 18. John chapter 1, verse 18. Notice what he says. He says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side has made him known. You see that? No one's ever seen God. Up to that point of Jesus, there was great mystery concerning certain attributes and ways of God. Jesus comes on the scene, and what does he do? He makes those things known. There are certain things that are made known. There were things ignorant. There were things concealed about who he was. Jesus reveals certain things about Jesus. God is glorified when he doesn't reveal everything about himself. We sit back and go, wow, this, this is my God. My God is mysterious. There are things about him that are beyond my comprehension. Let's be honest. One of the things that Jesus reveals and the New Testament really reveals is this concept of the Trinity. There really was no concept of the Trinity in the Old Testament, though you could see the Trinity in the Old Testament. It really wasn't explained. Jesus explained this concept of a triune God, that we believe in one God in nature and three in person. That's like a bedrock of our faith. Before Jesus, no one had that. No one said that. Jesus revealed that. There was, that part of his character was held back. Go with me to another passage. Go with me to 2 Peter. Here's an interesting phrase here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, when we grow in the grace and knowledge, this is based off of revealed truth, right? God's revealed truth, and I learned Jesus from revealed truth. But let's also be honest. There's a lot of things about Jesus that the scriptures do not tell us about Jesus. There's a lot of things that I see in the scriptures And as I live through life and have to walk by faith, 
I understand a different dimension of what it meant in the scriptures. Before, that dimension was mysterious to me or only something abstract in my mind. Now that I have to walk by faith and now that I'm learning more and more about Jesus Christ, there were things that I didn't know early on that I now know. So there's things concealed. You you get the point. We don't have the fullest picture, exhaustive picture of God's character. There are things that are not revealed to us. Amen. We should say amen to that. Now, I know that as American Christians, as evangelicals, that is really, really uncomfortable to say, I don't know, and amen in the same sentence. It's really uncomfortable because we live in a culture that has to have, questions, has to have answers for every question. This proverb teaches us you can't. There are some things that are just not revealed. Amen. There's other things that are concealed. Like God's plans. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. God knows. It's been been preordained before the foundation of the world what's going to happen this afternoon. I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm going to find out as we all find out. And there are plenty of times in life where people say, why did God, why did God do this? Why did God allow this? Why did so-and-so have to die? And why does so-and-so live? Why did this good thing happen to me? And why did this bad thing happen to me? Why, 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 why? And many times we're left with, I don't know, but God does. Amen. Right? He conceals things. And it's to his glory that he conceals things. We should glorify him when he doesn't explain and reveal every aspect of the workings on and the goings on of the universe. Now, this is not the only place that Solomon talks about this idea that man doesn't know what's going on. and We don't really know what God's doing. For example, go with me to Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 14. (laughs) In days of prosperity, be joyful. In days of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. So the man does not find out anything that will be after him. Yup. Today's a good day. Great. Today's a bad day. Think about this. God's made both of them. You can't figure out what's going on, right? Think about, just think about what we're, where we're sitting. We're sitting in a church. What did Paul call the church? The great mystery. It wasn't revealed in times past, but here we are, friends. God didn't, God didn't announce to the Jews, hey, there's going to be this, this period of time known as the church where believers all around the world are going to believe and they're going to be persecuted, waiting until the second coming of Jesus Christ. That wasn't revealed. Amen, Right? Because if it wasn't for the church, I wouldn't have known Jesus. Go with me to another passage, the book of Romans, chapter 11. Notice what he says here. Romans, chapter 11. Notice what he says in verse 33. Here, Paul, as he's thinking about the gospel... He's thinking about what Jesus has done on the cross for sinners. As he's thinking about what the gospel does, that by 
faith in Jesus Christ, I'm now imputed with the righteousness of Christ. I'm given Christ's righteousness. Because of the gospel, I'm being transformed from the inside out, right? He's making me to be more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And as Paul's considering the gospel to the Gentiles, and he's considering how incredible this gospel is, he goes, but also think about this, that God also is concerned for the Jewish people. And in this section, he answers the, what we may call the Jewish question. What do, what do we do about all those promises that were made in the Old Testament? And Paul demonstrates that those promises are still intact for Israel, that, that when God gives a promise that's irrevocable, and yet at the same time he's able to save us goyim, us Gentiles, and someday he's going to culminate all of this together to be under Jesus Christ. And as Paul's contemplating the gloriousness of the gospel, this is what he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of wisdom and of knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Couldn't have seen this one coming. How unsearchable. They're unknowable. We only know about them as they happen. I guess one of the questions I had this week when I was thinking about this, I I guess I get this, that I don't know everything about God and I don't know everything about his ways. But how how does that actually glorify? How does that glorify him? How does it glorify him that he conceals things? I How does it glorify him that I live a life full of tension and confusion and sorrow and bewilderment and sitting here going, why did he not, why why won't he tell me things? Why why doesn't he give me the scoop of what's going on in my own life? How, How does that glorify him? I'm sure there's lots of answers, but the one that my mind settled on is because we have to walk by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. See, God doesn't reveal all this stuff. One, I can't understand it, even if he does. Two, he doesn't necessarily let me know everything that's going to happen in my life because I have to learn to trust him. I have to learn how to love him. And it's in that stepping out and saying, all right, I'm trusting you now. I'm walking by faith now. That God is honored and glorified. And it's through this that he is then pleased. So we honor God. We glorify him in these areas that we don't know. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. I know we're doing a lot of Bible flipping this morning. Not, not normal. But I think these things are important. So Hebrews chapter 11 this, this passage which gives us great examples of faith helps us understand what faith is. And, and I, I think when you kind of look through this text, you'll kind of understand what I mean when I say there's all these unknowns, all these things that are concealed and I have to walk by faith. I have to trust God, what he reveals to me, and all those other things that I don't know, I have to trust him and I have to walk by faith. So notice just in verse 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You see, faith is built on this idea that it, I'm going to receive this promise that I don't have yet. If I could see the promise, then it's not really faith. It's not really hope, right? Faith requires a sense of, I don't have it yet. I can't necessarily see it yet. But in my mind, it's, I'm so convinced of God and of his character, it's as if I can see it. 
And notice what he says. He says, for by it, the people of old received their accommodation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. Then he goes on and he talks about Abel. He talks about Enoch. And then notice what he says in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see that? There's a whole bunch of unknowns. Think about Enoch, whole bunch of unknowns. Abel, whole bunch of unknowns. Think about Abraham, whole bunch of unknowns. Imagine God gives you a special revelation and says, I want you to leave your homeland. And you say, where? And he goes, I'll let you know when you get there. Imagine that first step. Where are we going, hon? I don't know. When are we going to get there? No clue. He's going to let us know when we're there. Well, how do we know we're going the right way? Don't know. We're just trusting him this entire process. That's Abraham, right? We think of all these great people of faith. God is glorified by them stepping out and saying, I'm trusting in the Lord that he's going to take care of me. I'm trusting in the Lord that his promises are sure. I'm trusting in the Lord. And it's in this step of faith that God's glorified. So, so when we go back to Proverbs 25.1, think about the incredible mammoth truth that, that they start off with in this section. God is glorified when things are hidden, when things are mysterious, and we must step out in faith. That's when God's glorified. It's incredible truth. Sometimes it's not hard, or sometimes it's easier to glorify God when things are concealed, like, oh, isn't that cool? I found $20 in my pocket. How did it get there? I don't know. It's a mystery, but I'm not going to think about it too long because I'm not upset. Obviously, that's quite different from other things that happen in our life, catastrophic things, things that we go, why, how, where, where do I go from here? I, I, don't, I don't understand, God. I don't understand why you would allow me to go through this. Didn't, didn't I give you my life? I'm here serving you. I'm here living for you. I, I, I'm trying to be obedient. Why this? And I've learned. He doesn't, he's not obligated, and he never really gives us the answer. And it's when we step out in faith that we glorify him. And it's when we draw near to him that we glorify him. He might not give us the answer to those big questions, but he does give us himself. And he does comfort us in a way that only God can comfort us. And he does allow us to learn from those things. And in that, that great statement, I don't know, but God, there's a huge hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord in that. Now, there's another part. Ready? So here's God. He hides things. Notice the next part of Proverbs 25, verse 2. Here's the seeking, right? And the glory of kings is to search out things. So if God is honored in the concealing, the concealment of things, then a king is, or a government, or a governor, it's a great honor for them to search out things. Amen, right? This is a good thing. It's not a good thing for a government to do cover-ups, right? 
We shouldn't, we shouldn't applaud when a government does a cover-up. It's to their credit when they are honest and they are well-researched. However, I, I have a really difficult time just assuming that, as some do, that this is just a statement of fact. God, God's glorified when things are concealed. And guess what? A king is great when he just lets everybody know what's going on. As if this is just like a statement of fact. Like when, when he does the State of the Union address, it's just an honest statement of the Union, and this is his glory. I, I think Solomon has something else in mind here. I think it's a glory of a king when he searches out the things that God has revealed and then makes policies according to the things which are revealed in God's word. Right? It's not just letting people know why they're painting the walls of a particular palace a different color. That's not a glory. That's not something to be honored. But when a, when a, when a government official searches out God's word and consults God and makes a decision based off of God's word and God's will, based off of wisdom, God's wisdom, that is something that is to be honored. Right? That, that's when a king is doing what they're supposed to. Remember the context. Remember the context of verse 1. This is Hezekiah. This, this is the one who's bringing in this spiritual reform. This is this one who's searching out and trying to find out what's going on with this. What's going on with this? What does God want for us? What does God want us to do? What are the things that God asks of us as, as his people? And, and so it's in this sense that it's a glory of a king when he searches out God's word. When he searches out God's will. When he seeks to know God. Then there's this next part. This part seems a little out of place, but it kind of fits. Notice what it says in verse 3. It says, as the heavens, as the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of a king is unsearchable. So it's speaking of this great mystery, this great chasm, right? You think about the stars and then you think about the lowest place on earth. That's a, that's a big difference. There's... That's a, big, that's a big chasm, and there's a lot of things that happen in between that chasm, and, and there, there's, there's a lot of things, a lot of mystery in that. That's, that's kind of like a king's, it's like the king's heart, right? It's unsearchable. You don't, you don't really know what a, what a king's thinking. You don't really know what a king's doing. And to claim that you know what any government official is doing, according to Solomon, would be foolhardy. You don't know what they're doing. There are things and interests and things that they know. So a king may be doing something that looks like it's devastating, but if they are doing it according to God's will and to God's word, it's not devastating. It's to his glory. And you may think he has another ulterior motive for doing what he's doing, but he doesn't. So the question then leaves us with this. Why do I need to know this? Why do I need to know this about a king? So what? Okay, God conceals things and I glorify him when I step out in faith. But this king part, what, what do I do with this? What do I do with this hide-and-seek thing, right? I, I can only think of one piece of advice. Well, two pieces of advice. Go with me, first of all, to the book of Second uh, Peter. I'm sorry, First Peter. 1 Peter is right before 2 Peter, just in case you were curious. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. 
Notice, notice the piece of advice that here Peter gives. And remember, Peter is living under the time of Nero. Nero was not the nicest to Christians. I don't mean to be graphic here, but he used to take Christians and impale them with a stick, cover them while they're still alive with oil, and then set them on fire for his garden parties. So people are dying while lit on fire, while everybody else is partying. So not necessarily the most uh, fun guy to be around if you're a Christian. And, and so it's in this, in light of persecution. This church is being persecuted by the Roman government. And notice what he says in 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. Honor the emperor? The guy who's killing us? The government that's killing us? Honor them. Why? Because God's the one who put him in charge. He doesn't say honor the emperor if the emperor is doing what's right. You're clearly not doing what's right. But God is asking us to do something. He's asking us to be submissive. He's asking us to be good citizens. He's asking us to fear him and follow the Lord. And that part of that means showing respect to the emperor. And the question is, how do we show respect to an emperor if we never get a chance to meet such one? I think Paul gives us a piece of advice, and we'll end here. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. This is one of the ways that we can honor, other than just being obedient to the laws of the land, right? Notice what he says in 2.1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, so this is, the idea of supplication is an urgent request. It's one of those uh uh-oh moments where you, uh, I need something now. Prayers, that's just general requests. Intercessions, that's where you're praying for the requests of others. And thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, who is included in all people? Notice the next verse. For kings and all who are in high positions. So notice, Paul is commanding the church to pray for the king. To pray for those who are, who are in office above them. Right, And notice that it is filled with urgent prayers, requests, intercessions, and thanksgiving. All of it. That's how you pray. That's how we pray for all people. That's how we pray for, for, our, for our governors. Whether you voted for them or not, it doesn't matter. This is how we are to pray because this is what God wants from us. Now notice what, what, we're, what, what, what we want, what, why we're praying, the goal. The goal is that we may lead a peaceful and tranquil life, godly and dignified in every way. It's not just that we're praying for personal peace. That's something that, be, that we want, want to pray for, that, that I, I, want to be, uh, I don't want to be harassed by the government. That's a, that's a valid prayer. But here Paul's prayer is that we live in peace in a way that's godly and dignified, a way that doesn't ruin our testimony. That, that's, that's, that's why I'm praying. I'm praying for my leaders so they make decisions, that I'm able to live a life that I'm not harassed by them so that I can live for the Lord Jesus Christ and I can live in a way that's honorable to him. That's my goal, right? And then notice what he says, verse 3. This is good. 
This is good. This is a good thing to do. Remember, Roman, govern- Roman emperors were not pro-Christian at the time when Paul's writing this. They're anti-Christian. They're persecuting. Paul says this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, this is why we pray. We pray for them. We pray for their salvation. We pray for them making decisions. We're thankful that the Lord allows us to have leaders for the goal that we may live peaceful lives, that we may be godly, and that God may even lead them to himself. So here's this hide-and-seek, right? Not like the little kids game, not like me with my keys. By the way, I'm still looking for those. If you find those, I'm kidding, they're in my pocket. Um, I just thought it would be a funny joke if you happen to find my keys you know that I'm playing a game. Uh, and not that I'm just absent-minded and lose my keys everywhere. It's not like that, right? This hide-and-seek is, is serious. God is concealing things for his glory because I have to walk by faith. And, 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 it's, it's, and I pray for my governor, for my president. I, I, I pray for congressmen. I pray for senators I pray for mayors. I, I, pay, I pray for those people who are in leadership over me. Why? I pray that they come to know Jesus. I, I pray that they seek God's word and they seek God's wisdom. I, I, I pray for them. I, I pray for their safety. I, I, I pray that they make good decisions. I, 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 pray, I pray for the community that, that because of their good decisions, and, and they, they might point back and say, well, the scriptures teach this, that they may even come to know Jesus Christ because of it. This, this is the hide-and-seek we're talking about, right? God is glorified when he conceals, and a king is honored, or a governor is honored, when they find God's word, they find God's will, and they make their policies according to that. That's the hide-and-seek that we should care about. There's another thing that I, I think about when I think about this truth, specifically that first truth of glorifying God by faith. This morning, we're going to have an opportunity to think about 